Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 4 of A New Voice of Freedom, written by Ronald Keith Messer. This podcast is part of a series we call Poets' Corner, an appendage to a series of books written under the banner In Defense of Christianity. This segment is from Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen, Book 1, Canto 8, Part 3. Podcast 152 is entitled, the Red Cross Knight. In last week's episode, King Arthur held captive the witch Duessa, wounds the many-headed beast, and kills the giant Orgoglio. In this episode, the last of Canto Eight, they find the Red Cross Knight languishing in the dungeon. The blind jailer, whose face forever looks backward, carries the rusty keys of the dungeon, but knows nothing. He doesn't even know which cell the Red Cross Knight is in. The jailer's name is Ignaro, or Ignorance, and he cannot answer any questions. King Arthur grows impatient and tells the old man he expected greater wisdom from someone of his age. Then asked he which way he in might pass. He could not tell, again he answered. Thereat, the courteous knight displeased was, and said, Old sire, it seems thou hast not read how ill it sits with the same silver head, in vain to mock, or mocked in vain to be. But if thou be as thou art portrayed with nature's pen in age's grave degree, a red engraver wise, what I demand of thee. The jailer annoyingly always gives the same answer. He cannot tell. King Arthur snatches the keys from the jailer and begins to open all the doors himself. His answer likewise was, he could not tell, whose senseless speech and doted ignorance, when as the noble prince had marked well, he guessed his nature by his countenance and calmed his wrath with goodly temperance. Then to him stepping from his arm did reach those keys and made himself free entrance. Each door he opened without any breach. There was no bar to stop, nor foe him to impeach. He found in the cells rich tapestry and resplendent gold, even such as the greatest princes might see. The floor, however, was filthy with blood of innocent men, women, and children. Spencer's referring to the Crusades and Holy Inquisitions that burned heretics and murdered many other innocent people. There all within, full rich arrayed, he found with royal auras and resplendent gold, and did with store of everything abound, that greatest prince's presence might behold. But all the floor, too filthy to be told, with blood of guiltless babes and innocence true, which were there slain, as sheep out of the fold defiled was, that dreadful was to view and sacred ashes over it was strewn new. In one room was a marble altar, finely carved and stained with the blood of Christian martyrs. The blood of the martyrs continually cried to God for vengeance against strong tyranny. 
and there beside of marble stone was built an altar, carved with cunning imagery, on which true Christians' blood was often spilt, and holy martyrs often doing to die, with cruel malice and strong tyranny, whose blessed spirits from underneath the stone to God for vengeance cried continually, and with great grief were often heard to groan that hardest heart would bleed to hear their piteous moan. King Arthur and Una searched every room, but could not find the Red Cross Knight. Finally, they come to a locked door that had no key. King Arthur calls loudly, with all his power, hoping for some answer. Through every room he sought, and every bower, but nowhere could he find the woeful thrall. At last he came unto a yarn door that fast was locked, but key found not at all amongst the bunch to open it withal. But in the same a little gate was pied through which he sent his voice, and loud did call with all his power, to wheat if living white were housed there within, whom he enlargen might. Finally, he heard a small murmur sounding pitiful and dreary. It was the Red Cross Knight who had been imprisoned for three months in the dark dungeon. Therewith an hollow dreary murmuring voice these piteous plates and deluge did resound. Oh, who is that which brings me happy choice of death, that here lie dying every stound, yet live perforce in baleful darkness bound? For now three moons have changed thrice their hue, and have been thrice hid underneath the ground, since I the heaven's cheerful face did view. Oh, welcome thou that doest of death, Bring tidings true. King Arthur rent the iron door with such force that it fell off its hinges. A foul, poisonous smell came from deep within. Which when that champion heard, with piercing point of pity dear, his heart was thrilled sore, and trembling horror ran through every joint, for ruth of gentle knight so foul forlore. Which shaking off, he rent that yon door with furious force, and indignation fell. Where entered in, his foot could find no floor, but all a deep descent, as dark as hell, that breathed ever forth a filthy, baleful smell. King Arthur ignored the awful darkness, the filthy bands, and the horrible smell. He boldly waded through the grimy waste until he found the prisoner bound in the farthest corner of the cell. The emaciated prisoner was too feeble to walk. He could scarcely bear the light. He looked like the very spectacle of death. But neither darkness foul, nor filthy bands, nor noia smell his purpose could withhold. Entire affection hateth nicer hands. But that with constant zeal and courage bold after long pains and labors manifold, he found the means that prisoner up to rear whose feeble thighs, unable to uphold his pined course, him scarce to light could bear, a rueful spectacle of death and ghastly dare. The prisoner's sad eyes were sunk deep in their sockets. He could not tolerate the light of the sun. He looked like famine. His once powerful muscles were emaciated and all his powers gone. His flesh was shrunk, as Spencer said, like withered flowers. 
For Spencer, the weakness of the once stout knight is caused by his fall from virtue. Before, the knight was upheld by the full armor of God. Remember, the Red Cross Knight had taken off that armor and was bathing in the enchanted waters that drained him of his spiritual strength. He was therefore unprepared for the wily Duessa who seduced him and the powerful giant Orgoglio who overpowered him. His physical weakness is a symbol of his spiritual weakness. It is a sign that the Holy Ghost has withdrawn from him and left him to his own strength. With the full armor of God, the Red Cross Knight could withstand all the wiles of the devil. Without the full armor of God, he was vulnerable to Satan's powers. The fact that he could not tolerate the light of the sun was symbolic of his shame for his sins before the light of Christ. The fact that his eyes were sunk deep in their sockets symbolized the loss of vision and discerning good from evil. His weak muscles symbolized his loss of spiritual strength. His sad, dull eyes, deep sunk in hollow pits, could not endure the unwanted sun to view. His bare, thin cheeks, for want of better bites, and empty sides deceived of their dew, could make a stony heart his hap to rue. His raw-bone arms, whose mighty bronze bowers were wont to rib steel plates and helmet hue, were clean consumed, and all his vital powers decayed, and all his flesh shrunk up like withered flowers. When Una saw the sad condition of her once powerful knight, she ran, first with joy, but seeing his pale face, wan features, and wasted body, she burst into tears. She asked what evil fate has fallen on him which robbed him of his once robust looks. Whom when his lady saw, to him she ran with hasty joy, to see him made her glad, and sad, to view his visage pale and wan, who erst in flowers of freshest youth was clad. Though when her well of tears she wasted had, she said, Ah, dearest Lord, what evil star on you hath found and poured his influence bad, that of yourself ye thus berobed are, and this misseeming hue your manly looks doth mar. Again, Remember that the Red Cross Knight was on a quest to free Una's parents, who for four years had been also imprisoned by a fierce dragon in the land of Eden. In this pitiful condition, of course, the Red Cross Knight was in no position to free her parents. If you recall, the other knights who tried to free Una's parents all failed because of their lack of worthiness or their lack of faith. Una perceives that the Red Cross Knight, so valiant before, was in no position to fight the dragon who symbolizes Satan. The noble Una composed herself and shouted welcome to her knight, in good or evil. She cursed the bad fortune that wrecked such havoc. She exclaimed that good often grows from evil grief. The Red Cross Knight, however, was too miserable to heed her advice and turned from his sorrow. He had too long endured famine and needed relief. But welcome now, my lord, to well or woe whose presence I have lacked too long a day, and fie on fortune mine avowed foe, whose wrathful wrecks themselves do now allay. And for those wrongs shall treble penance pay of treble good, good grows of evil brief. The cheerless man, whom sorrow did dismay, had no delight to treaten of his grief. 
His long-endured famine needed more relief. The Red Cross Knight is too depressed and plagued with guilt to be cheered up with empty platitudes. He makes no more reply. King Arthur appears to have a better handle on the situation. He sees Una's frustration and the Red Cross Knight's despair and offers kindly advice to Una. He says it will do no good to cause him to relive his pain at this time. We must remember that only a short time earlier, Una was in a similar state of despair. Her despair was caused not by losing her virtue, of course, but by losing her knight. She was in too much despair to tell even King Arthur her troubles. Then, King Arthur effectively persuaded her that the only way she could face her fears was to talk about them. Here, with the Red Cross Knight, he appears to take just the opposite view. He is not yet ready. He tells Una that the Red Cross Knight can find no delight in talking about his woes. Arthur suggests that music is best. He tells her that she must be wise. The lesson learned by the Red Cross Knight carries its own wisdom and will serve as a future example. Arthur makes a strange statement. Quote, Deep written in my heart with iron pen, bliss may not abide in state of mortal man. It is as if Arthur is saying that in the Red Cross Knight's condition, he must first come to terms with what caused such despair. Fair lady, then said that victorious knight, the things that grievous were to do or bear them to renew, I won't breeds no delight. Best music breeds delight in loathing ear. But the only good that grows of past fear is to be wise and wear of like again. This day's ensample hath this lesson dear, deep written in my heart with yarn pen, that bliss may not abide in state of mortal men. King Arthur tells the Red Cross Knight to take what strength he has and master them with patience. He draws his attention to the giant and says, Lo, where your foe lies stretched in monstrous length. In other words, the giant which put him in the dungeon is dead. Then he draws the sad knight's attention to the witch Duessa. He tells the Red Cross Knight that she is the root cause of his wretched state. He says it is in your power to let her live or die. Una interferes and says to kill Duessa would be despite. It was shame to take revenge on so weak an enemy. Rather than kill her, Una advised that she be despoiled of her royal robes and then set free without the courage of her rich ornaments. Duessa was a witch and a fraud. It was her royal garments that gave her power. This is certainly one of the most moving parts of the tale, for both Una and the Red Cross Knight have cause to hate Duessa, but neither take revenge or acts out of spite. Still, in wisdom, Una advises that her false power be taken from her. Henceforth, Sir Knight, take to your wanton strength and master these mishaps with patience might. Lo, where your foe lies stretched in monstrous length, and lo, that wicked woman in your sight, the root of all your care and wretched plight, now in your power to let her live or die. To do her die, quoth Una, were despite and shame to avenge so weak an enemy, but spoil her of her scarlet robe and let her fly. They take away Duessa's royal robe and purple garments. They take away her rich ornaments and strip her naked of all those things that gave her courage and identity. 
one is reminded of the words of Isaiah as recorded in Isaiah 3. Moreover, the Lord said, Because the daughters of Zion are haughty, and walk with stretched forth necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go, and making a tinkling with their feet, therefore the Lord will smite with a scab the crown of their head of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will discover their secret parts. In that day the Lord will take away the bravery of their tinkling ornaments about their feet, and their calls, and their round tires like the moon, the chains and the bracelets and the mufflers, the bonnets and the ornaments of the legs, and the headbands and the tablets and the earrings, the rings and the nose jewels, the changeable suits of apparel, and the mantles and the wimples and the crisping pins, the glasses and the fine linens, and the hooks and the veils. And it shall come to pass that instead of sweet smell there shall be stink, and instead of a girdle a rent, and instead of well-set hair baldness, and instead of a stomacher a girdling of sackcloth, and burning instead of beauty, thy men shall fall by the sword, and thy mighty in the war, and her gates shall lament and mourn, and she, being desolate, shall sit upon the ground. Surely that is what Spencer himself had in mind. Seeing the once beautiful Duessa standing naked before them, King Arthur, the Red Cross Knight, and Una were appalled at her repugnant deformities. She looked like a wrinkled hag, hideously ugly and shriveled, and of her filth, good manners were not allowed to be told. This, of course, symbolizes how Satan camouflages sin with ornate apparel and makes it look appealing to the eye. But when unmasked, one is able to see its hideous ugliness. So as she bad, that witch they disarrayed and robbed of royal robes and purple pall and ornaments that richly were displayed. Me spared they to strip her naked all. Then, when they had despoiled her tire and call, such as she was, their eyes might her behold, that her misshaped parts did them appall a loathly wrinkled hag, ill-favored, old, whose secret filth good manners biteth not be told. The knights were amazed and wondered that one so beautiful when dressed in her royal robes was underneath so foul and deformed and so false. She was living on borrowed light. With her filthy features for all to see, they released Duessa and let her wander in unknown paths. Spencer, of course, is trying to show that sin may be painted in beautiful, attractive colors with alluring images, but when revealed for what it is, sin is hideous and ugly and despicable, and anyone who sees sin in its nakedness is repulsed. Which when the knights beheld, amazed they were, and wondered at so foul, deformed white. Such then, said Una, as she seemeth here, such is the face of falsehood, such the sight of Falduessa when her borrowed light is laid away and counterfessance known. Thus when they had the witch disrobed quite and all her filthy features open shone, they let her go at will and wander ways unknown. Duessa, exposed, in shame, flies as fast as she can from heaven's glance. She flees from the world to a wasteful wilderness 
where she can hide in secret from all living eyes who would see her open shame. She hid in rocks and caves. Meanwhile, King Arthur, the Red Cross Knight, and Fair Una abode for a while in the castle and rested themselves till their weary powers were restored. They found in the castle things that were dainty and rare. She, flying fast from heaven's hated face and from the world that her discovered wide, fled to the wasteful wilderness apace, and from living eyes her open shame to hide, and lurked in rocks and caves long unespied. But that fair crew of knights and Una fair did in the castle afterwards abide to rest themselves and weary powers repair where store they found of all that dainty was and rare. Up to this point, Duessa was able to deceive everyone. She loved Sans Loy, which meant without law. She played with the feelings of his two brothers, Sans Joy, which meant without joy, and Sans Foy, which meant without faith. She continued to stalk the Red Cross Knight for the sole purpose of destroying him for killing her lover, Sans Loy. She pretended to be helpless and lean upon the Red Cross Knight, but she was a cruel witch. It was she that led him to the House of Pride. It was she that seduced the Red Cross Knight, causing him to lose his virtue and thus lose his powers. It was she that dallied with Orgoglio and got him to throw the Red Cross Knight in his dungeon, where he would starve to death. Now the three brothers, Sans Lois, Sans Foy, and Sans Joy were out of the way, and the giant was killed. Duessa exposed as a witch, and Archimago defeated, we now have a very weakened Red Cross Knight. Join us next week as we move to Canto 9 and continue the saga of King Arthur, Una, and the Red Cross Knight. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.